0: So um, last week we, we uh, talked about the book of Daniel, second chapter, and the theme last week was <clears throat> living a believing life in an unbelieving world. And I want to carry that over this week. We're going to look at the third chapter of Daniel with this idea of living a believing life in an unbelieving world. And and as we do that, we're going to look at one of the most famous stories in all of the Bible, maybe one of the most famous stories in all of literature, and it's the story of the three Hebrew boys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And remember last week, we talked about them. Their Hebrew names were Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. They were part of that group that was taken from Jerusalem of the learned, of the influential. They were taken into captivity, uh, into exile in Babylon. And the Babylonians were trying to assimilate them into their culture. They were trying to get them to completely immerse themselves into that culture. And so they gave them uh, new names. They gave them Babylonian names. And and so uh, Daniel, as you recall, was Belshazzar and, uh, and Hananiah, uh, Mishael, and Azariah were given the names Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and this is their story uh, this morning. As we look at this passage, though, in Daniel 3, there are three more principles that I'd like you to consider this morning, so I want to give those to you before we start. Uh, The first principle that I, I would like you to consider is this, that to know who you worship, to know who you worship. Sounds easy, doesn't it? Uh, but it's a lot more difficult to uh, to live it out. You know, um, I could ask for a raise. You know, hands. How many of you guys you know know that you worship God this morning and we're in church for goodness sakes? You'd all say yes. Uh, but then we live our lives. We we go out into our lives and and that we start to worship other things. And and some of us begin to worship public opinion, what other people think of us, how we're perceived by other people, and before we, uh, before we realize it, that whole idea of worshiping God, of knowing who we worship, uh, becomes confused, and we're worshiping what people think of us. We're worshiping other people's ideas, or, or you know, pick, you, you know, you, you live it, uh, you, you know, all the other things that there's a tendency to pull us into that that we might worship. But the, the first principle that we're gonna look at this morning is to know who you worship. The second principle that we're gonna look at is be faithful in the small things. Be faithful in the small things. And then the final thing that we're gonna look at this morning is expect Christ to show up. That we live a life of expectation, of expecting Jesus to show up, uh, regardless of our circumstances. Uh, so here's the, here's how the story, the little background on the story. Nebuchadnezzar is uh, the king of Babylon. About 65 BC, he became the king. And he is, uh, a lot of historians think that he might be one of the 20 most powerful kings that's ever lived. That his, uh, his country, his uh, dynasty was vast. It was huge. He was powerful. Uh, He controlled everything around him. He was the supreme leader. What he said Was what went. And so Nebuchadnezzar has made this huge conquest. All of these other cultures, all of these other nations now are under his banner. They're under his uh, authority, and he's trying to consolidate his leadership. He's trying to consolidate them all into one. He's trying to give them a a central focus, and that's what he's going to try to do today. Nebuchadnezzar gets it into his head that he needs to prove his invincibility. He needs to prove his power, and what we know from history is whenever a leader needs to prove his invincibility, somebody's going to suffer for it. Uh, Somebody else is going to suffer, and that's the picture that we have today. So let's read a few verses, starting in Daniel 3, verses 1 and 2 say this, King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold, whose height was 60 cubits and breadth of six cubits. He set it up on the plain of Dura, In the province of Babylon, the king Nebuchadnezzar sent to gather the satraps, the prefects, the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates, and all the officials of the province to come to the dedication of the image uh, that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. So here we have this picture, King Nebuchadnezzar is trying to prove his power is invincibility, he's trying to galvanize his leadership, uh, consolidate it, and so he has this huge statue built. And from what we can tell and what we know of cubits, this statue was roughly 90 feet tall and, and uh, nine feet wide. It was monstrous. Now, if you're wondering if that was really possible in those days to build something like that, you only have to think back hundreds of years before the Egyptians, had built the Sphinx, uh, and it was much larger in scale uh, than this statue. So there was precedent. There had been rulers over history that had built these you know, these monstrous edifices to their power and their authority. And so Nebuchadnezzar has this statue built. It's 90 feet high. It's nine feet wide. It's uh, overlaid. We don't know exactly what it was made from, uh, with, but it was overlaid with gold. And so it was so bright. It was uh, the the gold, when the sun would shine on it, you'd have to squint to actually look at the statue. It, It was so magnificent. Uh, And it was so immense. And so he has this built. And then the very next thing we read is he begins to call the satraps, the precepts, the governors, the magistrates, all of these others together. And they're there for for the inaugural worship time. They're there to dedicate the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And so we get this picture just by looking at these names, the satraps, the precepts, kind of different uh, names. But satraps were actually it was a Persian word, and it really was tantamount to being a governor. But what we get is each of those words kind of represent a different language, a different culture, a different place. And so what we have is Nebuchadnezzar gathering the leadership from all of these conquered cultures, and he's pulling the leadership all together, and he's taking them to this place, Dura, Dura is about 16 miles outside of Babylon. It would be considered a suburb of Babylon, but it was 16 miles away. He takes them out there, and this is the place uh, that they're going to dedicate this statue that Nebuchadnezzar has set up. So that's the scene. Now, in verse 4, Nebuchadnezzar says, and a herald proclaimed aloud. He sends a herald out, and you are commanded, O peoples, nations and languages again consolidating his power that you uh that when you hear the sound of the horn pipe lyre trigon harp bagpipe and every kind of music you are to fall down and worship the golden image that king nebuchadnezzar has set up and whoever does not fall down and worship shall be immediately uh, shall immediately be cast into a fiery furnace Therefore, as soon as all the people heard the sound of the hornpipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, all the people's nations and languages fell down and worshiped the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Really? I mean, here's the, here, the, the, here's the option. Uh, you, you hear the orchestra play, and the crowd cheers, <laughs> and you hear the orchestra start to play, And when you hear that, you're all to bow down and worship this golden statue. Uh, Okay, and the deal is if if you don't, then you're going to get thrown into a fiery furnace. You're going to be executed. So you really have two options. Um, And you pick. One option, you bow down and worship the statue. The other option, you go into a fiery furnace. That's the decree that Nebuchadnezzar gave the orchestra's going to play, and when they do, everybody has to bow down. Uh, th- this is real motivation for people, uh, because he and Nebuchadnezzar's trying to get all of these divergent beliefs. Remember we talked about Babylon, that there were so many gods that they worshipped. It was polytheistic. There were shrines and temples and uh, things set up for gods all over the place hundreds of gods that that they had brought in all of these cultures all of these diverse people's groups and they all worship these different gods and so they all kind of got came into Babylon worshiping their gods and and now as Nebuchadnezzar tries to consolidate his power try to bring everybody together he 's going I'm going to give you a common god to worship so everybody's going to bow to the same god You can still kind of do whatever. You can still worship all your other gods, but when you hear the music, we're all gonna do this together. And it's gonna bind all of these people from these diverse cultures, different languages, different nations. It's gonna bind them all together. He's trying to create this, this unity. He's trying to bring everybody together under his power, under his authority. And, and it's really interesting because all through history, nations have been built um, centered on various ideals. It might be socialism, it might be communism, it might be, you know, it might be democracy, it might be a, some ideal that, that nations are built on. Uh, but here's what we find is, is that when our forefathers built this nation, they, they said that we're one people under God, that the foundation that that we all pointed to, that we all looked at, was God. And whenever you lose that ideal, you begin to fracture as a country. So if you live in a country that the ideal that, pull, that is supposed to pull us together is everybody does what's right in their own eyes, everybody be nice and do whatever makes sense to you, then you don't have focus. You don't have strength in, in that kind of culture. And so, Nebuchadnezzar, t- more than 2,500 years ago, he understands this principle and he's trying to pull this nation together by worshiping a, a golden statue. Verse 8 says this Therefore, at the time, uh, oh, so here's what happens the, the, it, the, the music plays and everybody bows down. It works. Apparently, here's what happens. Verse eight. Therefore, at that that time, certain Chaldeans—remember, they were the astrologers—came forward and maliciously accused the Jews. They declared, "King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. You, O king, have made a decree that every man who hears the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music shall fall down and worship the golden image." And whoever does not fall down in worship shall be cast into the burning, fiery furnace. There are certain Jews whom you have appointed over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these men, O king, pay no attention to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. So these, uh, these astrologers, these wise men, these men who had been embarrassed by Daniel when they couldn't tell King Nebuchadnezzar what his dream was, they're looking uh, for a way to humiliate the Hebrews. They're looking for a way to take away their prestige, to demean them in the eyes of Nebuchadnezzar. And when they realize that these three young guys don't bow to the golden statue, they immediately run to Nebuchadnezzar to tell them what's happened. They're like a six-year-old. Right? They're just gonna go tattle. They run to Nebuchadnezzar immediately and they have their story and they embellish it and they say, you know, you're the great king and here's what you told us to do. And and these three guys, they they didn't do it. Now, some of you may wonder where Daniel is in the middle of all this. Um, What we assume from history is that because of Daniel interpreting the king's dream and getting placed over Babylon, that he's been forced to stay in Babylon So oversees the city there, and everyone else is taken out. The taken the 16 miles to the Dura Plain, and uh, and they're there to worship. So that's why Daniel is conspicuously absent in this story. But we have these three young Hebrews who um, uh, who don't bow to the statue. And here's when when uh, Nebuchadnezzar hears this, he is furious. Verse 13 even says that Nebuchadnezzar. furious rage, commanded that Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego be brought to him uh, before the king. And Nebuchadnezzar answered and said to them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I have set up? Now, if you are ready, when you hear the sound of the pipe, the lyre, the and the harp, the bagpipe, and every kind of music, to fall down and worship the image that I have made well and good, But if you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast into the fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? You know, Nebuchadnezzar sort of, outs himself uh, the whole time, that he doesn't say that who shall deliver you from my God's hands. He knows that that statue is just a statue. It's just a symbol. But what it's a symbol of is his power and his authority. And so what he says to the three Hebrew boys is who's gonna save you, which God is gonna save you out of my hands because this is about my power. This is about my authority. And they're put in this interesting position these three young guys they're they're brilliant they're faithful they're powerful they have been taken in exile they've been taken ripped from their homeland and put in this foreign nation different language customs but they have flourished there because they've been faithful to god they're flourished there because they've been true to their faith and in that flourishing now they're being punished for being faithful now they're being punished for staying true uh, to who they are and 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 who god is in their lives and they're being they're being punished for the very thing that they stand for for the very thing that caused them to find favor in babylon and they're faced with an interesting dilemma do we bow down or do we risk the fiery furnace? You know, what's fascinating is that for nearly 30 years, International Bulletin of Missionary Research has published an annual status of, a global, of, of global Mission Report, and this report estimates that there were, on average, 270 new Christian martyrs every 24 hours over the decade from the year 2000 to 2010, which means that over that decade, there were roughly a million people who were killed for their faith in Christ. We just have no idea, do we? And we've been getting some pictures, you know, the last five years of people who have been martyred for their faith. But think about that. Today in this day and age, a million people, two two hundred, over two hundred every twenty-four hours, two hundred and seventy new Christian martyrs. You know, martyrdom sort of the ultimate consequence of being faithful to God. But martyrdom can also include discrimination. It can include uh, humiliation, harassment, Uh, any sort of lesser expressions of antagonism toward Christianity. In fact, uh, the Fuel the Mission, the Nevins and their uh, party are in India right now, and the young man that runs this sports ministry in India, uh, because there's a new leader in India, uh, he's a staunch Hindu, and he's trying to squeeze out all of the Christians and making it harder to follow any other religion other than Hinduism. And so you're being discriminated against, and and you can't plant a church, but they start these sports ministries, and, and that's how they get the gospel out to all of these children because they're crazy about sports there, but but his family was kicked out of their apartment complex because they were Christians, and the apartments were owned by Hindus, and so they were left homeless. They were left out. They had just days to find a new place, and about 24 hours before they were going to be out on the street with no place to go, uh, a, a woman came, was found. Uh, they were told about who was a Christian woman who kind of kept it on the download, but she had these apartments and she rented one to Xavier and her, their, his family, but they were almost out on the street, their whole young family, just because they're followers of Jesus. All kinds of things happen in the world today. The question is what happens in our world? What happens around us? Daniel records this extreme situation that Meshach Shadrach, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego went into the fiery furnace. And we know, if you know the end of the story, we know that they weren't killed, but... The question. Sometimes we would tend to think that they really didn't suffer because, it, well, after all, it turned out pretty great, and and so they really they didn't really have to suffer. God kind of rescued them from suffering. But I would like you to think about this this morning: is that they suffered greatly? Can you imagine being in this situation and and the very first time realizing, you know, what we have done nothing but be faithful to God. We have done nothing to be true to our faith. Uh, and look here, here's the result of it. Here's what's happening. We're faced with this. Decision: Do we bow down and worship this statue, or do we face the fiery furnace? And, and I'll bet you that that if any of their friends or family had have been with them that uh, day out in in Dura, uh, out in the desert there, and they had heard what was going to happen, they would have come to them and they would have said, "Listen, don't be crazy. You're young. You've got your whole lives in front of you. You found favor here. Look at all the things that God has had. Just bow down to the dumb statue. What's it going to matter? Who's going to care? Just do it." One one time, in 10 years nobody's going to remember all of this, you can do it and, and then live to fight another day, live for another time it would have been so hard and, and they would say how can you be so selfish, how can, you, how can you risk losing your family losing your life over this, what's going to happen to the rest of us when you're not here and they're faced with all of this because they've been faithful they've been, they're faced with all of this because they've followed God It's got to be a very, very difficult time. And here's what's fascinating is these courageous young men, probably in their early 20s, they're not prepared to compromise. Even though bowing was simply an outward gesture, it was calculated by Nebuchadnezzar to express acceptance of his regime, his culture, his gods. And these three friends were not prepared to do that at any cost. Verse 16 tells us this, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. (laughs) Wow. Nebuchadnezzar went ballistic at this point. He is out of control. We know through history that his his personality was mercurial. He would go way up and way down. and He would have these moments of incredible anger and he had one of those moments now where he was completely out of control and he told his guards he told heat the furnace seven times hotter because they're going in today they're done i can't let them challenge my authority see here's the deal nebuchadnezzar's trying to prove his ultimate power he's trying to prove that he's invincible that he's the king for goodness sakes everybody bows when he says bow What he finds out is that he does not have power over these three young men, that they follow a greater power, that they follow someone else in their lives, and that he is, that their God trumps the king of Babylon. And he doesn't know what to do with that. He's helpless against that kind of faith. He's helpless against that kind of commitment. And so in his rage, he has them heat the fire seven times hotter. He has them heat it so hot that the men that take them to throw them in are consumed by the fire. The courage of these three young men is, is staggering. They tell the emperor that they get it, that they've heard the command. They consider the fact that they may not get out alive, but they're prepared to die if necessary. Do you remember those words? They said, look we're going to follow, we're going to trust in God, and we need you to understand that even if he doesn't save us, even if we do die in the furnace, we're still going to trust him. We're still going to trust God. So here's the first principle. Know who you worship. They didn't worship public opinion. They didn't worship safety. They didn't worship security. They worshiped God. They were faithful to God. They trusted him in spite of the circumstances, in spite of the challenges, in spite of everything that they were facing, they worshiped God. They believed in him. And again, you know, I I know that we would all say, awesome, you know, high five, Shadrach, we're in with you, we get it. And then every day we go out in a world that challenges because of public opinion, challenges because of what we stand for belittles us maybe because of how we believe or what we believe and we have to decide who we worship who do we stand for who is the god of our lives who do we trust with our lives some religious leaders asked jesus one time what's the greatest commandment and he said that you would love the lord your god with all your heart soul mind and strength he said that's what it means that you're all in, that you believe in me, that you trust me, that you don't keep a part of your life separate for safety's sake or for backup's sake, but you trust me with your whole life, that you put everything on the line because of who I am. That's what it means to be a follower of his. And so the first thing is to know who we worship. The second thing is to be faithful in the little things. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, when they had been exiled from Jerusalem They had refused to eat the rich foods that were offered in the royal court. They stayed with what they had been called to eat as faithful Hebrews. They had flourished in that. Uh, They had been faithful to pray when uh, Daniel told Nebuchadnezzar that he would tell him what his dream was and interpret it for him. They had been faithful in a hundred little ways in their lives, so when it came to this big challenge, when it came to this big crisis, they were not unprepared, but they were prepared because they had been faithful in all the little things in their lives leading up to that point. And it's one of the great challenges for us because sometimes those little things seem so insignificant. They don't seem very important, but it's the little habits that we create. It's the little decisions that we make. It's the the small things that we're faithful in that when we come to a time of crisis in our lives, we've kind of created that foundation. We've created that place that we know God is faithful. We've trusted him in the little things. We can trust him in the big things. And so it's critical for us as followers of Christ, it's critical for us as believers to be faithful uh, in the little things, to trust him in the little things in our lives. And it's so easy for us not to do that. It's so easy for us to think this is not a big deal. I can you know, I'm gonna, I'll worry about it when it's a really big decision in our lives. But when those big decisions come, we're just not prepared because we haven't been faithful in the little things. Um, and we face 100 of those a day. So it starts with you knowing who we worship, and if I know who I worship, and if my eyes are on Christ, it's a lot easier for me than to be faithful in those little things, those little decisions, how I pray, how I read, what I watch how I talk about other people, how I treat other people, all of those little decisions that we make every day to be faithful in the little things. It didn't mean they didn't have guidance when they came to that decision. It just meant that they had accumulated experience over time in their young lives to know what God would want them to do. And then here's the third thing, is the final thing for us is to expect God to show up. You know, all things considered, I'd just as soon stay out of the furnace. Me, personally. I'm a bit of a coward. Not crazy about the heat. I would just as soon stay out of the furnace if I had a choice, right? All of us would. They would have. I just don't know how to do that because life just has a way of putting us in those situations, of putting us in those moments of faith where we have to decide, am I going to trust God in this? am I going to believe him at this moment in my life or am I going to worship some other God life seems to be filled with furnaces the disciples are told by Jesus one night to get in a boat and row across a lake and when they do a huge storm comes up it's so great that they all think they're going to drown and here they are doing exactly what Jesus said but there's a storm but what do we remember the story that in the middle of that storm Jesus shows up Jesus is there you see, the beauty of the story of the fiery furnace isn't that God swooped down at the last moment and he rescued Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. No, he let them get thrown into the furnace. What's magnificent about this story is that God showed up in the middle of that, that God showed up in the furnace. He didn't keep them out of the furnace, but when they were thrown in, God showed up there. And here is what he does. He says, I am not going to always keep you out of the furnace. I'm not going to always save you from the storm. But here's what I promise you, that when you find yourself in the storm, I'll show up. I'll be there. I'll be in the furnace with you. And, you know, sometimes we're so busy trying to stamp out the fire or bail water out of the boat that we miss Jesus. We're not looking for Jesus to show up. We think it's about how fast we can put out the fire. We think it's about how fast we, we can bail in the boat. We think it's all about us and Jesus is saying, you're missing me. I'm in the middle of this. I've shown up right in the middle of your crisis, right in the middle of your hardest time. I'm here. Don't miss me. I'm faithful to you. I'll be there. There's a Bible scholar named John Lennox who tells a story about a man he met years ago and in the Uh, in the years immediately after the fall of the Berlin Wall, he says, I came across people who had suffered detention in the Soviet gulag. Um, The first man i met had spent several years detained in a Siberian labor camp for the crime of teaching children the Bible. He described to me that he had seen things that no man should ever see. I listened, thinking how little I really knew about life and wondering how I would have fared under his circumstances. As if he read my thoughts, he suddenly said, you couldn't cope with it, could you? Embarrassed, I stumbled out something like, no, I'm sure you're right. He then grinned and said, nor could I. He said, I was a man who fainted at the sight of his own blood, let alone that of others. But what I discovered in the camp was this. God does not help us face theoretical situations, but real ones. How about that for a great truth? God does not help us face theoretical situations. Would I have enough courage? Would I have enough faith? Would I be strong enough? But God helps us in real situations in our lives. He shows up in the middle of the furnace. He shows up in the middle of the storm. He goes on to say, like you, I, I couldn't imagine how... One could cope in the gulag, but once there, I found God in me, exactly as Jesus promised his disciples when he was preparing them for victim, victimization and persecution. And here are the words of Jesus in Matthew 10. Beware of men, for they will deliver you over to courts and flog you in their synagogues. And you will be dragged before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them and the Gentiles. And when they deliver you over, do not be anxious how you are to speak or what you are to say. or what you um, For what you are to say will be given to you in that hour. For it is not you who speak, but the spirit of your father speaking through you. It's pretty powerful, isn't it? that when we come to those moments in our lives and we know who we worship, we've been faithful in the small things and we expect Christ to show up. He's saying, when you find yourself in those circumstances, don't be worried about what you're gonna say because I'll talk through you. I'll speak through you. I'll still be faithful in your life. There's one last story about two uh, bishops in England and uh, Bis- Bishop Ridley and Bishop Lattimore Uh, in Oxford they're called the Oxford Martyrs Uh, and they spoke out against the corruption in the church uh, during their time and Ridley and Latimer were burned at the stake in Oxford uh, on October 16 1555 and if you go to Oxford today you'll find on Broad Street there's a cross that's uh, right in the street and it's surrounded by cobblestones and it's a symbol uh, it's a reminder of the Oxford martyrs. Uh, they were speaking out against corruption in the Church of England and in England at the time. And uh, because of that, they were burned at the stake. And uh, one of them, um, Bishop Ripley, it was green wood and it wasn't burning and he's calling out, and he's crying out to God. Uh, he says this, O oh Heavenly Father, I give unto thee most hearty thanks that thou hast called me to be a professor of thee. Even unto death I beseech thee, Lord, God, have mercy on this realm of England and deliver it from all her enemies. Uh, Ridley's brother had uh, brought some gunpowder for the men to place around their necks so death could come more quickly. But Ridley suffered greatly. With a loud voice, Ridley cried out, Into thy hands, O Lord, I commend my spirit. But the wood was green, and it burned only Ridley's lower parts without touching his upper body he was heard to repeatedly call out, Lord, have mercy on me. I cannot burn. Let the fire come unto me. I cannot burn. One of the bystanders finally brought the flames to the top of the pyre to hasten Ridley's death. Latimer died much more quickly as the flames quickly rose. Latimer encouraged Ridley, and I love this. Be of good comfort, Mr. Ridley, and play the man. We shall this day light such a candle by God's grace in England as I have... uh, as I trust, never shall be put out. Their martyrdom, their faithfulness is a picture for us that God doesn't always take us out uh, of the furnace, that God, but he promises to meet us in the the furnace. And those two men changed history because of their faithfulness. They changed history uh, because of their commitment, because of what they stood for, because of how, They lived, their candle burnt and still burns today, but it burnt for hundreds of years and it changed how people believed because they were faithful. And we're called to know who we worship. We're called to be faithful in the small things. We're called to expect Christ to show up in our lives not because we're so great. You know, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they didn't go into the fiery furnace because they were such great guys. They didn't go into the fiery furnace to prove how spiritual they were or how awesome they were. They went into the fiery furnace because they believed in God, because they were completely sold out. Their lives belonged to him. It was for his glory. It was for his honor. And may we live like them May we have the courage and the tenacity and the faithfulness in God to be all in for Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word and thanks for the truth of your word. Lord, we live, uh, we live in an unbelieving culture by and large and Lord, we need to know how to live a believing life and so Lord, we ask that if we've been worshiping the wrong gods, if we've been worshiping other things, whether it's, whether it's public opinion or um, what people, we afraid people say about us or, or our economics or anything else. Lord, we ask that you'd forgive us and that you would plant our eyes firmly on you this morning. Lord, we ask that you would give us the strength uh, and the presence of mind to be faithful in the small things so that when our lives hit those big decisions, those big challenges, those terrible circumstances, Lord, that we would be prepared, that we would... Uh, practice through being faithful in the small things and so lord we also ask uh, this morning as we focus on you as we focus on who we worship uh, lord uh, that we would also be reminded that you show up lord that we would wait expectantly that we would live expectantly knowing that you'll be there in the midst of the furnace in the midst of life's challenges because lord you're faithful And we give you praise and honor and thanks for that now in Jesus' name, amen.